Hello all and welcome to this edition of No Home for Heroes. No Home for Heroes explores history's military mysteries regarding Americans who are missing in action from our past wars. These long-forgotten MIAs are remembered here. Today's episode is titled, From Pearl Harbor to Tarawa, Two Brothers, Two Marines, Two MIAs. Today's episode of No Home for Heroes is taken from case number 0484 in the files of the Chief Rickstone and Family Charitable Foundation. It's the story of a young boy eagerly awaiting his 17th birthday so he could join the Marines to avenge the loss of his big brother, only to become an MIA himself. We dedicate this episode to our loyal listeners in West Wego, Louisiana. Population, well, give or take, 8,438. This hometown in Louisiana sacrificed not one, but two of their hometown boys in defense of freedom during World War II. I'm your host, Rick Stone, bringing you another great and true story from our vault of history's military mysteries. No Home for Heroes is a trademark production sponsored by the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We invite you to listen to all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast or streaming platform you prefer. And now, on with our show. If you've never been to West Wego, Louisiana, you're probably not alone. With all due respect to the current West Wegoans, there's just not much there but swamps. <laughs> and like my own small hometown in Central Texas, it's got all the requirements of life today. It's got a McDonald's, it's got a Taco Bell, and most important, a Sonic drive-in where local high schoolers can congregate after a Friday night football game. <laughs> well, that is if West Wego has a high school, which I don't really think it does. So picture this town in 1940 without all the modern necessities of life like a McDonald's. And picture Johnny and Bobby Griffin, just two hometown kids growing up and wondering what the world looked like outside of the swamps of southern Louisiana. The elder brother, officially named Lawrence John Griffin, was not quite 21 years old when he joined the United States Marine Corps on 15 September 1940. Just 10 weeks later, he found himself aboard the USS Arizona as a part of the Marine detachment on the giant battleship. And, noticing the name USS Arizona, you can probably figure out where part of this story is headed. The younger of the two brothers, Robert Joseph Griffin, known as Bob to his family and friends, uh, was wanting to grow up and be just like his big brother. Bob's father, Lawrence Opti Griffin, was employed as the night marshal for the big town of West Wego in 1930, but by 1940, he was working as a laborer for the Celotex Corporation, which manufactured insulation and other construction materials. At the time of the 1940 census, Bob had completed three grades in high school, and by 1940, and yeah, probably 1941, presumably, he graduated from a local high school there in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. After graduation, Bob obtained employment as an electrician's helper. 
The family lived on Celestine Street in West Wego, and the house where Johnny and Bob grew up still stands. If you live in West Wego, Louisiana, drop us an email and we'll give you the exact address so you can go by and pay your respects to the home place of two hometown heroes. Bob's older brother Johnny found himself on board the USS Arizona during the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on 7 December 1941. The dreaded telegram came to West Wego just before Christmas 1941, officially notifying the Griffin family of their loss. Private First Class Lawrence John Griffin's body was not recovered after the attack, and presumably he still lies entombed inside the Arizona in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, along with 1,176 of his shipmates. After his brother's death, Bob begged his parents to allow him to enlist in the Marines just as soon as he turned 17. A week after the one-year anniversary of his brother's death, Bob did enlist in the United States Marine Corps in New Orleans, Louisiana, where he was given the rank of private. The term of his enlistment was for the duration of the war. Private Griffin listed his mother, Lydia R. Griffin, as his next of kin, and he completed all of the necessary paperwork to receive U.S. government life insurance. Private Griffin listed his religious preference as Catholic in his records, and the letter C for Catholic may have been imprinted on his United States Marine Corps identification disc or dog tags issued to him on 3 February 1943. Private Griffin was unmarried, and he's listed in his military records as having brown eyes and a ruddy complexion. His official USMC photograph contains a chart to confirm his listed height of 69 and a half inches. Private Griffin's last dental examination was on 15 September 1943, shortly before his loss. The dental profile included 15 fillings, four extractions, and no wisdom teeth noted at the time of the examination. Also noted was a root canal treatment for his number seven tooth, which is the upper right front tooth, about three months before his death. His extensive dental profile has played a major role in our investigation of his case. Private Griffin's medical records indicate that he had no previous bone fractures, breaks, major scars, or tattoos. He did have an undescribed birthmark on his left thorax, just below the nipple. His cap size was unknown, but he had 20-20 eyesight in both eyes. Bob completed his Marine Corps basic training as a member of the 9th Recruit Battalion in San Diego, California. And after graduation from basic training on 6 February 1943, Private Griffin was assigned to the Tank Battalion Training Center at Camp Elliott, San Diego, California. On 5 April 1943, Private Griffin was transferred to the 16th Replacement Battalion and designated for shipment overseas to the South Pacific. He and other members of his battalion boarded the SS Lurline in San Diego Harbor on 18 April 1943 and were transported to Wellington, New Zealand. In New Zealand, Private Griffin was assigned to B Company, that's Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines on 15 May 1943. His new unit had participated in the Guadalcanal campaign before his arrival and had been withdrawn to New Zealand for a period of rest, refit, and training in preparation for the invasion of Tarawa. 
On 30 June 1943, Private Griffin received his first semi-annual professional and conduct record, which was scored by his commanding officer on a 0 to 5 scale for the five traits of A, military efficiency, which he received a 4.2, B, neatness and military bearing, he received a 4.2, C, intelligence, he again received a 4.2, obedience, he received the best grade of 5, and sobriety, again, the top grade of a 5. These are considered pretty good scores for a Marine who had only been in the Corps for six months. Private Griffin and his company embarked upon the USS Harry Lee on 17 October 1943 for a period of amphibious landing training along the Hawke's Bay area of New Zealand. On 1 November 1943, he and his unit departed Wellington, New Zealand on board the USS Harry Lee for an additional amphibious training in the New Hebrides Island before continuing on to Tarawa. The Lee, the Lee was known affectionately by her crew as the, quote, leaning Lee, end quote, due to a perpetual starboard list, that's to the right, that could not apparently be corrected. In fact, it makes me seasick just to look at the ship's photograph. Private Griffin's company was designated to land on Red Beach 2 during the invasion of Tarawa. At Tarawa, Private Griffin's company approached Red Beach 2 at about 10.30 in the morning on the first day of the invasion, 20 November 1943. The first waves were transported to the beach in three landing vehicle track, or LVT, amphibious tractors. Due to the topography of the designated landing areas, heavy fire was directed against them by the Japanese defenders. The fire came from both Red Beach 2 and to their right on Red Beach 1. In one LVT, only nine of 24 men reached the beach, and four of the company's six officers were wounded. Those members of Private Griffin's company who did safely reach the shore quickly took refuge behind a coconut log seawall and waited for reinforcements from A Company and C Company before they began attacking inland against very strong opposition by Japanese defenders. Per the commanding officer of B Company, he stated, quote, We landed in front of a machine gun which was inland and toward the 3rd Battalion area. I hit the beach at about 150 yards from the pier. At 12.30 hours, Major Culhane told me to take all available units and move inland. We reached, we reached the fighter strip and were stopped by our own bombing and strafing, sustaining two casualties, end quote. Private Griffin and other members of his company continued to filter onto Red Beach 2 during the late afternoon, evening, and night as the survivors no doubt spent a restless darkness awaiting a Japanese counterattack that never materialized. And, at that point, Private Robert Joseph Griffin simply disappears from history. Private Griffin's United States Marine Corps casualty card List him has killed in action on two dates, 20 November, which was the first day of the invasion, and 22 November, 1943. It lists his cause of death as gunshot wound to the right side, but the card does not list a burial location. Private Griffin is listed on the chaplain's log as killed due to a gunshot wound to the right side on 22 November, 1943 with the burial information listed only as, quote, 
burial details unknown, end quote. The Graves Registration Unit burial report of January 1944, about two months after the battle ended, and the Island Commander's report of June 1944 by Captain E.C.B. Gould both list Private Griffin's burial location as unknown. This is a, a status that would is much different than the status of missing, as was done with many other Tarawa casualties. Waiting at home in West Wego for word of their second Marine son that they knew was in the Pacific War just before Christmas in 1943, almost two years to the date when they received a first horrifying telegram. They received another one of those dreaded telegrams from the War Department, telling them that their second son was also missing in action, and a few months later confirmed to be killed in action. The only personal effects of Private Griffin returned to his mother in West Wego were one rosary. Twenty-eight members of Bravo Company, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marines, were ultimately listed as killed in action. Twenty-one members of this unit were recovered and identified, but not Private Griffin. In our roll call of honor for Private Griffin's company mates, the following members of B Company, Bravo Company, remain today as officially unresolved. They are Corporal Elmer Leon Martin, Private First Class Frederick Joseph Duchamp, Private First Class Philip Isom Doss, Private Robert Joseph Griffin, Sergeant Harold Hammett, Private First Class Otto Reeder, and Private First Class Arthur Irwin Wendy. So where is Private Griffin? The specific circumstances of Private Griffin's death are unknown. The date of his loss, as we noted, is listed variously in his records as either the first day on 20 November or the third day of the battle, 22 November 1943. The first date coincides with the known attempted landing of his company on Red Beach 2 on that date. If Private Griffin was killed two days later, on 22 November 1943, it's likely that his death would have occurred during the attack of his company inland and towards the east as other units pushed Japanese defenders across the length of the island. The description of Private Griffin's wounds in his military docu documents indicates that someone found and identified his body after his death. The fact that he's listed in Chaplain, Chaplain's logbook as killed in action on 22 November 1943 with a cause of death indicated notes that his loss was reported to the chaplain, but the chaplain did not participate in the known burial of Private Griffin. Foundation investigators note that Private Griffin's entry into the chaplain's logbook look, book, <laughs> easy for you to say, is directly under that of Private First Class Manley Winkley. Investigators from the Chief Rick Stone and Family Charitable Foundation actually participated in the recovery of Private First Class Winkley and two other missing Marines on Tarawa in 2012 from a previously under-recorded row in Cemetery 25 on Tarawa. 
Whether or not this fact has any significance in Private Griffin's case is really kind of unknown at this time. Based on all the available evidence, including biometric profile and subsequent foundations research, Private Griffin is not a most likely match to any individual who previously buried, lay buried in the Punchbowl Cemetery in Honolulu with only the name unknown carved on their grave markers. In fact, that extensive dental profile that we talked about earlier regarding Private Griffin excludes him from being any remaining unknown recovered from the punch bowl who has detention for comparison. He could be one of three possible matches to unknowns who have been recovered from the punch bowl who did not have detention available for comparison. There is a possibility that Private Griffin could be one of 33 current sets of remains that have been recovered on Tarawa since 1963, but which await examination and identification by the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency. The backlog of recovered sets of remains awaiting identification by the DPAA is estimated to exceed 1,100 American servicemen and women who are stored in cardboard boxes on shelves in the former JPAC laboratory, now being used by the Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency. The average time for identification after remains are received in the DPAA laboratory is reported by an internal analysis to be 11 years. The preponderance of the evidence indicates that Private Robert Joseph Griffin was killed after reaching shore on Tarawa's Red Beach 2. All the facts seem to indicate that he was not killed in the water and his remains were not washed out to sea. In fact, Private Griffin was obviously identified and his wounds were noted in almost all of his official records, even though he was relatively new to his unit. Therefore, it's highly likely that Private Griffin was given a burial on the island, perhaps in a hastily dug grave by his company mates while still under fire. If Private Robert Joseph Griffin is not one of the possible matches to the unknowns listed in our investigation, or one of the recent recoveries from Tarawa that DPAA has not yet been able to identify, it is likely that he lies today in an undiscovered grave on Tarawa. If that's the case, it may be a long, long time before at least one hometown hero makes his way back to the Louisiana swamps. Thank you for listening to this episode of No Home for Heroes. We hope you've enjoyed today's production, and we invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio Podcast, or Blueberry, or, hey, you know, just whichever platform you like to listen to podcasts on. We greatly appreciate your comments. And a special link is available for you to contact us on our website at www.chiefrickstone.com. We again thank you for your support of our mission to provide information to the families of missing American servicemen and missing American servicewomen. Every assistance counts, and you do make a difference. Until next time, be careful, be safe, and wishing you fair winds and following seas. I'm your host, Rick Stone, reminding you that poor is the nation that has no heroes, but shameful is the nation that having heroes forgets them.